Hey, my name is Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. So glad you're here. Maybe, just maybe, this is your first time joining us here at Westview. Uh, we're really glad you're here. I want to invite you to open your Bible to Genesis as this fly hovers around me for the rest of my time up here. Genesis. It's the first book in your Bible. It's the book of origins. It's the book that lays the foundation for the rest of your Bible. It's a book that is quoted more than 200 times in the New Testament. It's greater than any other book. It just lays out an understanding of the next 65 books of Scripture. And it's been really cool to follow through Genesis. If you're, if you're new to this or maybe you need reminding, the structure of Genesis is as such. The first 11 chapters of Genesis have to do with some major events, uh, God creating everything. Uh, you have the fall, you have the great flood, um, and then you have the dispersion. And so if you want to go back in our sermon archive and you watch those first several uh, messages, you can get caught up there. Chapters 12 all the way through 50, which is where we find ourselves now in chapter 28, if you want to turn there. Chapter 12 through 50 is really, to sum it up, it's God's dealings with four major people. It begins with Abraham, then Abraham's son Isaac, and now we come upon a new main character, if you will. It's Jacob. Jacob. And uh, meet me in, in Genesis 28 if you're not there yet. By way of introduction, I want to ask you this morning about your fitness goals, because I know that you come to church to think about all the ways you failed in your fitness goals, okay? Um, have you been looking for a high-intensity interval training tool? Maybe something featured on television programs like NBC's Biggest Loser and CW's Legends of Tomorrow. How about a machine trusted by pro athletes like the Dallas Cowboys and the Boston Celtics and the Kansas City Royals? Go Royals, worst team in the league. How about a, team, a, a tool, a machine featured by, uh, used by college athletic programs like Penn State, Duke, UNC, Ohio State, Michigan, probably not Nebraska. Um, what if it helped train Robert Downey Jr. to prepare for his role as Iron Man? Well, church, for only 28 payments of $243 a month or one simple payment of $7,000, you can be an owner of Jacob's Ladder. That's right. You can get Jacob's Ladder. You can get Jacob's Ladder 2. You can also get Jacob's Ladder X. And in the original language, ladder also means stairway. You want to climb some stairs instead? No problem. The same company produces the stairway. You can get the stairway GTL. All of this is inspired for you to work your way up, to climb up, to move up, to proverbially break a sweat is just like Jacob did as he climbed the ladder to heaven in his dream in Genesis 28. The only problem is that Jacob never climbed a ladder. The ladder didn't belong to him. It wasn't used by him. And we're going to find out this morning that God does not want us to climb a ladder to him. He already has, in the fullest extent, climbed down a ladder to us. Amen. Uh, church, I want to pray this morning, and as we dive into this text, I want us to see how much God has moved toward us in the history of humanity, and how little we take advantage of that reality as Christians. Let's pray. 
God, your presence is here now. You inhabit the praise of your people. May this church not ask, what will Glenn accomplish as a preacher? But what will your word accomplish in the hearer? May it not return void. May it not be in vain in the hearts of your people this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. I want you to go to Genesis 28 and I want you to pick it up with me in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, sounds comfortable, and laid down in that place to sleep. One of the best simple Bible study tools that was given to me by my friend Lisa a few years ago was called 2020 Vision. It's to just ask a simple question wherever you are in Scripture. What happened 20 verses before this and what's happened in 20 verses after this? This is what you call literary context. And so at this point in our story, last time we saw Jacob, he was in essence fleeing his father's house, Jacob, or Isaac's house, after twice deceiving and manipulating his brother Esau. Jacob's relationship with his family was not necessarily peaceful or integrous. Uh, he's headed toward his mother Rebecca's old stomping grounds. He's going toward her family in Padan Haram. And several chapters now in Genesis will be devoted to God's dealings with Jacob. He's going to have the spotlight now. Isaac, his dad, will live for another 40 years, but we don't really hear about him again until his death. And Rebecca, his mom, passes away during this time. And to our knowledge, this is the last that Jacob has seen of his mom. And as he sleeps, he is on his way to find a wife. And he has this long journey that's in the interim. He's by himself, he's in the middle of nowhere, and he goes to sleep. It's hard to imagine what Jacob was feeling and thinking in his thought life as he's out on this journey by himself. But I want you to read with me in verse 12. He dreamed. It's the first dream in scripture. And behold, there was a ladder or flight of stairs set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So this is a ladder or a stairway. The form of it doesn't really matter as much as the purpose of it. The bottom of it is touching the earth the top of it is reaching all the way to heaven. And church, it isn't there as we're going to discover for Jacob to climb up. It's not there for him to do more, have an opportunity to become a better person, work harder, be better, do gooder. No, we're, we're about to see the exact opposite. We're about to see the picture of a God that we have to hold on to. We have to hold on to this picture of God. We have to hold on to this every day. This is a God who is going to come down to us. And it begins with angels. So you, you read this text, like verse 12, and you're asking, what is this business with angels? There's angels ascending and descending on it. It's a natural question we should ask as a reader. And I think it's really important to the context here. Uh, I want to put up a helpful slide for you note takers for further study. Uh, Roy touched on angels like long ago in our Hebrews sermon series. And 
Um, Angels are mentioned close to 300 times. 300 times in the Bible. They're a part of God's creation. They're called spirits and heavenly ones and stars and they gather in in assemblies and congregations and courts and, and their purpose according to scripture, we don't know a lot but we do know some, they serve and they minister to God's people. They deliver messages. They wage spiritual battles in the unseen realm. The author of Hebrews actually asks a rhetorical question in his first chapter of his book. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And here's a psalm I want to read to you that it just extols. It praises the work of angels. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Church, come here. Come here. Don't don't miss this. Real quick. I want you to know something about angels. angels. I want to dispel something about angels right now and our perception of angels. Did you notice something in that passage in Psalm 103? We're going to move on from this in just a moment. But I got to make this point. Let it be known about angels. They mighty. They ain't weak. Angels are an army. They're not some chubby little rosy cheek babies with harps and strings and wings, okay? Like, listen now to the vision of angels in the heavenly realms from Daniel 7.10. Listen to this. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. That's God. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, the court sat in judgment and the books were open. This is a massive, colossal picture of a royal assembly. Name a movie that depicts armies. Think, think of the armies of, of Mortor in, in the Lord of the Rings. Think of the empire in Star Wars. Think of the Avengers and, and all of their collective defending Wakanda. Yes, even Tom Cruise and his capabilities in the cockpit of a fighter jet. Think of all of it. Think of the the world right now. Every earthly army fully assembled today with every nuclear weapon at hand, they do not compare to the 100 million angels under God's command. What scope, what magnitude, all gathered before their great king, all to display his magnificence. Church, this is El Shaddai. God Almighty, and how does he wield his power? Verse 13, behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall Spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised context here. God made a covenant with Father Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I'm going to make a race of people, the Hebrew people. This is going to be a people unlike any other people on the globe that are going to represent me to the rest of the watching world. 
And through those people, seed will come that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And, and we've followed Abraham and his story. We, we followed Isaac. Now we're on to, to, to Jacob. And so far, this next man up, Jacob, this really important figure in Scripture, has no discernible history of faith or obedience. He's messy. He's leaving home. He's out in the middle of nowhere. It's a long trip. It's a 500-mile trip from where he was to where he was going. This is all we get of what happened in that trip. He's lonely. He's without company or protection. He's without a party to join him. He's not really setting out on this quest of obedience, but he's more so fleeing the consequences of his sin. He's no doubt ashamed. He's got regrets in his life. He had gotten himself into a dark place driven by his selfishness, his deception. He's made his bed now and he's got a lie in it. I'll bet he didn't expect to be in this position. I'll bet he did not expect to be here uncertain of his future. What's gonna happen to me? Who am I? Listen, this is a human story. Can we relate? Can we relate in any way to this? Let me ask you some questions. When was the last time you spent an extended time by yourself praying and you felt God's presence? When was the last time you were in his word and its truths moved you to tears? When was the last time you were obedient to an uncomfortable prompting, undoubtedly, from the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you were able to measure real change, real transformation in your heart because of Jesus? When was the last time that you weren't low-grade ashamed of your faith? But you were eager to preach the gospel to peers and neighbors and family members. When was the last time your heart actually broke for other people, neighbors, friends, co-workers, and you moved in compassion toward them? When was the last time that you felt sorrow over sin? And the separation, the, the real life experiential separation that it's causing between you and your Father in heaven. You want to know how I typed up these questions? You want to know? I examined my own heart. I didn't get them from somewhere else. I just sat and thought, when was the last time, Glenn? We're all in this together. Nobody who stands up on this stage is any different than anyone who sits in the seats. I'm asking this question because let it be known God's response to Jacob in this place. I am with you. I will keep you. I'll preserve you. I won't leave you. I will do what I have promised. There is no prerequisite. You don't have to be at your best. Are you listening to me? You don't have to be in your best season, at your cleanest, when, when home life is its strongest, when you're, you're most put together, you're most secure. You can be at your worst. You've strayed from the path. You've lost your way. You've messed things up. You've lost sight of him. You don't sense his presence anymore. You're not excited. You're not filled with faith. You don't believe. You're in this place where things are broken that were just fine before. There's destructive emotions that are taking over that were dormant before. And it's in that place that you need to stop. Be still for once. And know that he is God. 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 There's only one. 
And in Jude 1, we are called and we're beloved in God the Father and we are kept for Jesus Christ. In Jude 1, 24, it says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Some of y'all need to hear this. One person needs to hear it. Philippians 1, 6. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 8. He will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 12. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, what has been entrusted to me? And then Hebrews 13, 6, the Lord is what? My helper. I will not be afraid. I'll paraphrase Spurgeon here, an old preacher, how precious it must have been as it came to Jacob in the den of that place with hedges as his curtain, right? And the sky as his canopy, the dirt as his bed, a rock for a pillow, but God as his companion. There's nothing like knowing God as friend. There's nothing like knowing that he will never leave or forsake you. There's nothing like experiencing his love. I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. Hallelujah, church, church. Do you really believe this? Sounds great, I'm excited, I got energy. Do do you really believe that God is real? He is who he says he is, and he is with you. I wanna read what happens next as Jacob awakes from his sleep. He says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it and he was afraid and said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven can I sit down so can everybody see me Uh, so Kate and I this weekend had the joy of being a part of a wedding for a dear friend of ours. We're family friends with them and, and um, they're so special to us. And she was a bridesmaid, I was officiating and um, I always get the, the experience of being at a wedding where Kate's participating in it and they throw me at a table, right? Because she's you know, at the head table and I'm just at a table with a bunch of strangers. And I always go in going, oh man, okay. Like I, you know, I'm kind of introverted sometimes and so I, you know, I need to turn it on. And then I leave and everyone there is my best friend. Um, I'm sitting at this table last night and I was surrounded by such cool people. The, the groom in the wedding um, works for Disney, does like uh, marketing and wholesale stuff for them. And um, he's like an adventurous spirit. He, you know, wants to skydive and do all this stuff. And he, he literally... Um, he mailed letters to a guy at the Masters tournament, like the most prestigious like golf tournament around, you know, year round, to be a volunteer at the Masters for 12 months. He just kept like mailing and knocking on the door, just persistent as all get out. And he became a, a, a person who serves at the Masters. So he's there every year, like flies in. Um, and just all of his roommates would talk about, you know, how 
crazy it is, some of the stuff he puts his mind to and does. So I'm sitting at the table with none other than a bunch of his Orlando Disney coworkers. Um, and then uh, next to me is this random couple from Rochester, New York, who flew in because the guy serves at the Masters as well. They flew to Omaha, to the Holland Center, just to be at his wedding. Lovely people. It was so fun to sit and reminisce about the groom, but at some point, uh, you know, you got people from South Carolina there, Rochester, New York, Orlando. There was a couple from India there. And at, at some point, the conversation begins to become about um, faith. You know, like somebody starts talking, and, and I'm sitting at the table, the officiant of the wedding, and they're all, you know, they're saying, you did a great performance, great, great job, you know. And we, we get to talking, and I can't tell you how heartbreaking it was to hear all these people around this table look at each other and nod their head and agree verbatim we raise our kids to believe that all of the paths lead to the same destination Um, I mean these people were excited to tell other people at the table you know there's multiple ways that you can drive on the roads you know to get to the same destination And, and that's what we that's how we raise our kids, you know. It's really not complicated. Like, you know, we've got people who are, who are um, Muslim and, and, and Hindu and Buddhist and Christian, and, and we're all headed toward the same place. We all, there's, there's, there's just kind of this God, and we're all, you know, working our way up the, the mountain, if you will, to the same place. And religion, faith, their words is, is just be good and do good. It's not complicated. Be good and do good. The problem with that is we can't. Who describes and defines good? Who knows what is good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong? Um, Who knows when we've arrived at the destination? What kind of assurance can we have that, you know, that at the end of the, the mountain, up at the top, like, that's what God is going to be like, and that's what he's going to look like. You know, I'm not trying to, like, disrupt a wedding ceremony. It's like a fun thing, okay? I'm not trying to have that conversation. So I'm just taking it in, and the subject changed, but my heart, I could feel it in my stomach, my heart, you know, turning and just thinking. The evidence for Jesus Christ compared to every other world religion's leader is overwhelming. The claims that Jesus Christ made about himself and him being God, incomparable. The power that Jesus displayed and the work that he did, immeasurable. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death itself. I so badly, deep in my soul, I just wanted to scream that we don't all climb up the same mountain or ladder or stairway to get to a place where God is. My faith declares that God has stooped all the way down the mountain and met me at the very, very bottom of the mountain and carried me all the way up. And all I had to do was believe that he's come all the way down and forgiven me of my sin at great cost to him. He's come and actually taken on the life that I was supposed to live and failed to live, and he walked it in perfection. He went to a cross and died the death that I was actually supposed to die 
so that I wouldn't have to. He bore the wrath of God in my place so that I wouldn't have to face judgment. Jesus has made the way. And, you know, this, there's not a ladder to climb. There's Jesus. There's not a spiritual summit to reach. There is Jesus. The good news that's being declared across the globe for 2,000 years is that there is not anything to ascend, but God has descended all the way to us. There's no mountain to climb because Jesus has come all the way down to the bottom. He's carried us. And guess what? His work is already done. It's finished. Sin created a tear, a separation, a split between heaven and earth and something deep in our bones, deep in our soul. We know that. We feel that. The curse of sin is real. It's corrupted our life, our health, everything. All this chaos and disease and this lust for power and greed and money and selfishness and abuse and violence and death itself, death, the end of life. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And doing good, being good, doing good does not solve any of the issues. Ultimately, that's not God's best for us. And when Jesus showed up in our world, his perfect and sinless life led to an atoning sacrifice that would bring heaven back to earth. Amen. And his resurrection from the dead would defeat our greatest enemy, death. God would be reunited to man the way it once was. Man in God would be reunited to abundant, eternal life the moment he or she places their faith in Jesus. In John 1.51, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And listen to this, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the ladder. Yeah. Jesus is the stairway. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The old hymn sings hallelujah to Jesus who died on the tree and has raised up a ladder of mercy for me. Hallelujah to Jesus who died on the tree and has raised up a ladder of mercy for me. Listen. Do you want to be free from guilt and saved from God's judgment? Jesus made a way. Do you want to be freed from your sin's penalty and loosed from its power? Jesus has made a way. Do you no longer want to be far off from God, distant from God, but brought near into oneness with him? Jesus has made a way. Do you want to be cleansed from sin and given a new heart, a new operating system altogether? Jesus Christ has made a way. Do you want new life and freedom from a religious ladder that can never give you the assurance of salvation that you need? Jesus has made a way. By confessing sin, asking for forgiveness, bowing our knee to him, saying, my life is yours. I want to come home. I want to come home you will be reunited to your maker and nothing will be the same ever again. Amen. Don't delay, choose Jesus who died on the tree to raise up a ladder of mercy for you and me. Only Jesus, only faith in Jesus, only his spirit abiding in a person can make it so that someone can be in a horrible place in their life, a terrible season, battling, fighting, conflicted, you name it, and be able to say like Jacob said, how awesome is this place in the middle of suffering and trial how awesome is this place 
God is here. He's in me. He's with me. My maker, my sustainer. He knows my name. He made me and fashioned me. And he wants closeness with me. Not just momentarily, but forever. For all eternity. Never-ending fellowship with God. Incredible. Incredible. So I want to deliver to you two applications this morning. The first is this. I know that you may feel inadequate, weak, with whatever you're, you're facing. I know you may have many doubts about whether or not God is able. I know you wonder if all of this is worth it. I know it's crossed your mind. If all the time and the investment and the belief and the faith is legitimate. If God can actually answer all your questions, if he can actually provide for all your needs, if the measure of your faith in him makes that big of a difference in your life. Church, I am here to tell you if there is no fight in you, no faith in you, if there's no prayer in you, no desire in you, no want in you, you are dying a slow death, cycling through the same stuff, the same drama, the same conflict, the same addictions, the same disappointments, the same negative emotions, the same insecurities, the same apathy and lethargy and hopelessness. That is not what God purchased for you through his son. That's not the life that God intends for you to live, child of God. Here's the application. Prayerlessness is killing us. Prayerlessness is killing us. We don't even ask people that are flesh and blood, like right in front of us for help. We're too prideful. How much less are we gonna go before God and be comfortable asking him for the help that we really need? Maybe when it comes to prayer, you're here this morning and you're fearful, you're, you're hesitant, you're tense in your approach to prayer. You're like, I don't know how to pray. How do I even begin? What does that conversation even look like? Listen, here, here's the deal. God wants to keep you on his purpose. He wants to keep you on the right path, going in the right direction, flourishing, growing, bearing fruit. But you have, like it's not, a, it's not an option. You have to exercise faith through prayer. You have to depend on and rely on and feel your need for divine strength. When you are weak, you must ask. You must seek. We must knock and we must trust that God will answer. Quenching the Holy Spirit of God in us is living life with a disadvantage. You will go to heaven but you will take the really hard way to get there. You hear that? Prayer is connecting your nothingness to God's everything. That's what prayer is. We always say this on our staff team, but I just want to encourage you today. You are one still quiet time away from a complete change of perspective in your life. You are one touch from God away from seeing things and approaching things 
totally different. You're one quiet time away. What would it look like if we had a daily conscious awareness of God's presence? Let me read to you from Psalm 139. God, let this be our reality. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. This is the reality that God purchased for us through Jesus that we lost all the way back in Genesis 3. The first application is prayer. Ask, ask, and have an expectation that God's gonna answer. The second application this morning is, church, can we image or reflect God by caring for one another? Reminding one another of his promises. Let's, let's be a church that says, I'm gonna pray for you when you don't want to pray for yourself. Like, I will have faith for you when you don't want to. I'll believe things for you when you won't believe yourself, just like God did for Jacob. I'll remind you and encourage you that God is with you and I'll help you figure out what he's doing. I'm with you, I'm with you. Like flesh and blood, body of Christ, I'm with you, I won't leave you. God, let us be a church that does not give up on people, but shows up because that's who our God is. Our God is a keeping God, a sustaining God, a bringing God. He will never leave or forsake you. Be encouraged this morning. Whatever you're going through right now, everything changes. And how awesome is the place where the house of God is right here. You're a temple. The gate of heaven right here. Jesus is with you. I want to close in prayer and I want to read from number six, the classic benediction over our church. So if you would bow your head, heads, close your eyes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Jesus, you tell us that you are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing and your commandment is abide with me. Remain in me, stay close to me. Be sensitive to me. Know my power. We ask this over our church family in Jesus' name.